me. You know we give you the most unique perspective. Today, Bruce Pearl's going to join us talking about what's going on. He's been very vocal about it. Black Lives Matter decided, well, you know what? We're going to support beheadings. That's right. We're going to support what the Palestinians are doing. And we're going to mock it by showing paratroopers coming down. Those of you that don't know, paratroopers got into a music festival, beheaded and slaughtered people. But back, Black Lives Matter of Chicago decided to mock it. Don't at me. Starts right now. We all knew. It wasn't like we didn't know. We all knew when the government started shaking down, when social media started shaking down businesses back in 2020, the quote, summer of love, we all knew this was a bit of a fraud. And then, of course, things started coming out about the lavish lifestyle, about Black Lives Matter, the organization and the lifestyle with which and the misappropriation of funds, allegedly, with which the leaders of Black Lives Matter were doing. And we all had to go along with it, right? Or else you would be deemed a racist. Those days are long gone. The world has opened up their eyes. And even I, even I, who supported it, yay, Ra, said the right things. Hey, look, there's a difference between Black Lives Matter and the Black Lives Organization. But then when they burned down our city, I'm sitting there going, wait a second, this doesn't make a lot of sense. I understand protests, but I don't understand burning down a city. And then, of course, it became the rallying cry, silence is complicit, silence is violence. Well, now, even I, ladies and gentlemen, and I think you, could not imagine that Black Lives Matter, the organization in Chicago, would put out a tweet supporting Palestine and the execution of children, the beheading of babies in their cribs, the slaughtering of innocent people. Even I, you, nobody thought this organization was that god-awful. A lot of people knew it was a fraud. A lot of people, including African Americans, knew this was a deal built on hate, built on a somewhat terrorist organization, Thoughts? Thoughts, I guess, more so than organization. But I don't think anybody, do we have the video there? Do we have the uh, tweet that was sent out by Black Lives Matter? There it is right there. We stand with Palestine. And they're showing somebody paratrooping in. And even community notes said, hey, wait a second here. Hold the phone. October 7th, 2023, Hamas terrorists attacked a music festival full of civilians without warning. They killed at least 260 people and kidnapped an unknown another. They are not known for paragliding. We can keep that up there in other circumstances. So this post implies support of their activities. Well, duh. Yes, it does. It implies support of terrorists coming in on paragliders and destroying not only a music festival, but multiple hundreds and hundreds of people's lives. Remember, when somebody gets murdered, it doesn't obviously just affect the person that's murdered, it affects the people around them. So now you are Black Lives Matter Chicago defending this, supporting this. I gotta tell you, 
Even the people that supported Black Lives Matter Chicago the most can't agree with this, and they haven't. People have come out in droves, black, white, Hispanic, it don't matter. If you are a human being, you don't support this. If you are somebody with sense, sensibilities, and any type of human feeling, you don't come out and support this. But again, this is a group where the government actually told businesses, hey, look, Disney, Exxon, you don't give to this group, you're racist. They shook you down. They shook you down left. They shook you down right. They shook you down constantly, constantly shaking organizations down. And now the mask is off. This is a terrorist organization. This is an organization that is not for black folks. This is an organization that is not for anything other than itself and its Marxist and terrorist operation. That's what this organization has shown itself to be about. People said it very clearly, including Elon Musk. Well, I guess your stance is very clear. This is not anything other than now. The post has been deleted. Black Lives Matter Chicago has deleted the post. But that doesn't matter. That doesn't matter at all. Not even a little bit. They posted what they posted. They did. And they posted other things. AJ Plus. AJ Plus is talking about whatever, and it turns out to be wrong. Members of Hamas did cross the internationally recognized border between Gaza and Israel. Furthermore, the subsequent Hamas attacks and missile strikes took place on territory internationally recognized as Israel. So Black Lives Matter, while they took that post down, but how about having that post up in the first place? How about that? This is the world we live in. Silence is completion. Why? Well, I'll tell you why. Because African Americans are saying it. No, they're not. No, they're not. African Americans detest this right here. African Americans know this to be a fraud, at least the ones that I know, at least the ones that I have spoken with. They know this to be a fraud. They know this to be full of crap. They know this to be a terrorist organization. They know this is not for the betterment of anybody but the people in the organization. You have to divide to be important if you're Black Lives Matter Chicago. You must divide. You must, because a unified world eliminates Black Lives Matter Chicago. It just does. You know it. I know it. We see it every day. Every single day we see it. If you divide, it gets interesting. You're the savior. You ride in on the white horse. It's what Democrats have been doing in big cities forever. Candace uh, Candace Owens had a great speech in front of Congress where she just destroyed a woke congresswoman about the fact that race is always brought up every four years by the Democrats. Why do they do that? You know why they do that. I know why they do that. African Americans, who I believe to be the smartest among us, know why they do that. They do it because they divide and then the white politician or the black politician rides in on a white horse and guess what? They save the day with their rhetoric. They don't save the day with anything else. They save the day with their rhetoric, period. And you know this is what happens. We know this is what happens. Everybody knows this is what happens. But guess what? We fall for it. They fall for it. 
It's what happened. It's been happening forever. Charles Barkley said it best. Black people keep voting for Democrats. Black people are still poor. Stop voting for Democrats. I paraphrased Charles right there. But it is what it is, and we know this. Look up Candace Owens speaking on this to Congress people who tried. They tried her. They always try her. But she's smart. She knows. You got to divide to conquer. If Chicago weren't a, I don't know, insanely criminal city with incredible racial problems right now, Black Lives Matter wouldn't exist in Chicago. If everybody did their best to get along, sure, you'd still have some crime. Sure, you'd still have some shooting. Sure, you'd still have some issues. There's no question about it. But if they can't divide, then they can't, in their own mind, conquer. And that's all this is about. That and utter stupidity. That and just, you know, stupidity. Terrorist organizations getting with other terrorist organizations and thinking that they are something. They got shot down. They got embarrassed. But it ain't going to stop. It's not going to stop. Nothing anybody said. Nobody's changing anybody else's mind. But I do feel it incumbent on me to comment on it because we have the most unique show in the country. We have the smartest show in the country. We have the most unafraid show in the country. So that's why I am commenting on it. Period. Now, you want to get to some sports? I'll get you to some sports. Mike Gundy's the head coach. He's the I'm a man, I'm 40 guy. That's who Gundy is. So Mike Gundy is a coach at Oklahoma State, and Mike Gundy is like Coach Emeritus, right? He's like got a lifetime job at Oklahoma State. He was quarterback there. He's been there 100 years. I'm sure that the people that work for Mike Gundy, like Mike Gundy and at Oklahoma State, will say this. Oh, man, look at his list of accomplishments. And I'm sure they're right. T. Boone Pickens was the big booster. T. Boone Pickens was a guy that built everything at Oklahoma State. Any success at Oklahoma State is because of T. Boone Pickens. Okay. Well, T. T. Boone Pickens passed away. But Mike Gundy has always been honest. Mike Gundy is in the doesn't give a rat's stage of his life. He's no longer 40. That was 10, 11 years ago. He's in his 50s now. He's got more money than sense. He's won enough. You know what? If he gets fired, he'll go on TV, wear a mullet, and probably be pretty entertaining and make a lot of money and have a better life. But having said that, Gundy spoke honestly. Gundy said, listen, I don't want your money to build facilities. There was a day when facilities matter. That day has passed. What matters is scratch to players. So he said, don't build it. Put the money in the bank. Put the money in the bank and spend it on NIL. That's just the future. And I'm not saying I agree with it because no self-respecting coach can agree with it. I only know the sign of the times. Players used to want to go somewhere for shiny new facilities, new uniforms, things like that. They still want to go somewhere where they win, but they also want the other stuff, and that stuff is moolah, cashish, money, honey. Well, guess what? He also says, if you brought in 50 of our players and said, we'll NIL you 50 to 60K a year cash, or we can build you a new weight room, 
a meeting room. Which one do you want? They're going to take the money, right? That's what kids do nowadays. See, I disagree with the last part. This isn't what kids do nowadays. This is what kids always wanted. I wanted more money when I was a player in Indiana. I didn't even care. It wasn't on my agenda. But if you were going to say to me, hey, Dan, we're going to give you better meals. Unbelievable chef we're rolling in here. The weight room is going to be so great. Oh, I got to tell you, where you get tutored, I never went to tutors. Actually, I went once, and I'm like, it's a waste of time. And I was trying to hit on her, tell you the truth. I'm sorry, but she was very pretty. And you know what? I'm an 18, 19-year-old boy. What do you expect out of me? But anyway, so I don't care about any of that. Zero, zip, nada. You know what I care about? I care about you give me 50 grand when I'm in college? I'm smart enough to know, all right, I got to pay some tax on that. I'm smart enough to know, all right, 20K is going to go somewhere like, I don't know, maybe in a bank account somewhere. I don't know if I was smart enough or was smart enough to hire somebody, but I wanted the cash. There was going to be pizza. There was going to be a good time to be had by all, ladies and gentlemen, by all. And I ain't messing around with it. And neither are you. You and I both know. You and I both know what the deal is. So this isn't just kids now. It's just kids now because the option to make money wasn't there for schools that did it legally. Allegedly. Back in the day, this was actually told to me by a very good football player in Illinois. The football and basketball players took their cars to a dealership, paid a buck, paperwork filled out, left with a new car. That was illegal. But that was a great recruiting tool for Illinois basketball. How good? Well, the coach who was overseeing it in basketball's name is on the Illinois court. Now, I'm not speaking out of turn. I had a coach of one of the most famous high school players in the country at the time lay it all out for me. Furniture. Take the car over here. Hey, great but that was all illegal. Now, there isn't anything illegal. Now, there used to, or it's supposed to be, you come to Oklahoma State, you play really well. Jimmy Bag of Donuts, Joey Bag of Donuts over here, Susie Rottencrotch over here, they want to give you money. Susie owns a boutique. She wants to say, hey, look, I got this string of hotels, boutique hotels, I got Marriott's. I want you because you're so good I want to pay you to do ads for us. Joey Bag of Donuts over here. Maybe he's got car dealerships. Maybe he's got nail salons. Hell, I don't know. But he says to me, football player, hey, look, I want you to endorse our stuff because you're really good. That's how it was supposed to work. But that ain't how it's working, ladies and gentlemen. Hey, man, you come here. You were really good at Bowling Green. You come here, we're going to get you a car. We're going to get you a car, we're going to get you 60 cash. That's how it's working. Or a high school kid, hey, look, it's a bidding war. The player doesn't involve himself directly. How does this happen? Agents. Nobody, allegedly, was better at using the money men, the shoe companies, than Mike Krzyzewski. That's why I always say, I like Kay. Kay's brilliant. Kay's a great coach. 
You can say he's the all-time greatest, but to me, he ain't the all-time greatest because Bob Knight won three national championships and never used any of these people. Nada, none, zip, zero, zero. That to me is greatness. You mentioned John Wooden. You can't mention John Wooden without knowing Sam Gilbert. This is what I'm saying. That used to be illegal. Now it's legal. And I don't blame kids, not even in the slightest. If this is the system, then use the system. Get it while you can. But here's the other deal. I think it's wrong. Why do I think it's wrong? I always want players to get as much as they can. But don't ever tell me, ever, that players haven't been paid over the years. I've said this a million times. My brother had to get up every morning, go to the mill one summer, Scotland Foods in a warehouse in Calumet City, Illinois, and the other. We had bunk beds. I was in the bottom bunk. He was in the top bunk. He would climb down at like 4.30, 5 o'clock in the morning. I would look at him. You should have practiced more, is what I would say. He would punch me right in the back because I would roll over and I would catch one right below the shoulder blade. I would giggle and I'd go to sleep and he had to go to work. I didn't have to go to work. Why? I was on a full ride, baby. That's right. I was on scholarship. I did work a couple summers just because I wanted some extra cash. But the fact of the matter is, that's payment to me. Now, that's not payment. And I get it. But what the universities don't understand is they got to protect the sport and they got to protect the universities. But I am peeing into the wind, at least in football. Viewership is up. Sponsorship is up. Football is rolling, baby. College football. Basketball, eh, we'll see. It's a little brother. It's a step It's over here. But maybe it, too, is thriving in this world. I don't know. But Gundy ain't wrong. Kids want it, but it ain't these kids. It's every kid, every time. All right, uh, we've got an idiot. Uh, we got an idiot alert, and I'm not even that bent out of shape about it. I'm really not. Uh, the Wisconsin basketball, women's basketball coach, is like 19 and 40. Now, look, 19 and 40 will get you fired most places. But you know what? She's going to tell you she took over a program, and, you know, all right, you know, eh, okay. Her name is Marissa Mosley. She brags about the diversity of her program. She came from UConn, and she's a real genius. You can tell she's a real genius. I don't think, I don't think we can play the video. I don't think. But she said we have, I'll read it here. If you look at my team, you know, we're pretty much the United Nations. I have the first Indian woman to ever play Power Five. I have kids who are Nigerian, kids who are Dominican. And kids who are Mexican and kids who are run-of-the-mill white because they're still there too. My mom is white, just so nobody is offended. My mom is a white woman from the Berkshires, very white. Look, I don't get bent out of shape. I know, I know, I know African-American coaches don't like being around white players. I know, we all know. Look, if we're really going to talk about it, that's cool. Run-of-the-mill white players doesn't get me all hot in the crotch. It really doesn't. But here's the deal. 
you're going to talk about this. You should just be talking about winning, but when you're 19 and 40, it's a little bit hard to do. Now, I'm guessing she invented basketball. I just looked at it, and I'm like, yeah, I'm not dealing with that woman ever in any circumstance if I'm in an AD. Of course, if a white NFL, NBA, C college basketball coach commented on the race of their team, they would be fired immediately. And the run-of-the-mill white kids, I've not been out of shape about it because I understand what she's saying. She's saying, and she used a very poor uh, description. Like, you don't want to call anybody on your team run-of-the-mill. You can call them horse bleep when they play horse bleep, chicken bleep when they don't take a charge. You can call them anything you want. But when you're in a press conference at a media day, saying run-of-the-mill implies, eh, eh, they ain't any good. They're just white kids. And that is, in fact, how most African-American coaches feel. I go back to the story of Joby Wright. Joby was a great player at Indiana, assistant coach at Indiana, coached me, and then I coached with him. He recruited an African-American kid named Andre Harris. Now, Andre got in foul trouble, and a white dude named Courtney Whitty came in and played great. Courtney didn't play a whole lot, and Joby didn't respect him. Joby didn't respect me. Joby really didn't respect many white players. But Joby made it very clear. The mask came off. People were really happy, really happy for Courtney. He had had broken feet. He hadn't really played, but he got an opportunity, and he played really well in a Big Ten game. Joby Wright, the African-American coach in front of the whole team, smirked. <laughs> we, called, we called Courtney Whitty Whopper. He smirked and said, what the hell, Whopper's on scholarship, should play well. I remember looking at Joby. Everybody stopped, looked at Joby shook their heads, and went about being happy for Courtney. Joby knew he was an idiot. Joby knew the mask was off. We all knew the mask was off. And when he became a head coach, you know his best players were? White dudes. Weird world. I don't understand the world we live in. But everybody knows that African-American coaches are going to talk down. And this woman just pulled the mask off. She just did. Now, you can argue with me all you'd like. I mean, we've had coaches in college basketball, John Thompson, that said, I ain't recruiting white guys. Okay. <laughs> all right. Oh, all right. All right. We've had coaches say, I'm not hiring any white guys. Oh, all right. <laughs> okay. So people say, I don't know what I'm talking about with this. I'm just telling you facts. And I assume, actually, a couple years ago, saying these facts could get me in trouble. But facts is facts. That's what Thompson said. And that's what two, two, not one, two, Division I men's basketball coaches have said. Not my problem. Personally, none of it bothered me. Personally, this Wisconsin basketball coach, it don't bother me. Well, Dan, why are you talking about it? Because I find it interesting. I got called a racist yesterday because I put out her statement or her video and I put my signature, G-E-E-Z-U-S. Jesus. I didn't say anything good, bad. Well, some race-baiting dudes who make their living giving, quote, they said, speeches on racism, basically uh, L. Sharpton Jr., which is what I ended up calling the guy, came at me. You're racist. So I sit in a car with two friends of mine. We were going to dinner, two high school friends of mine. One of them is named Freddie Viana. Now, Freddie's confined to a wheelchair. 
Freddie's the toughest dude I know, has MS, has handled it better than anybody could. Then he got in a horrific car wreck on his 60th birthday, and he's in a wheelchair. My buddy Cam and I, we got in his truck, met him at his dentist appointment, put him in his van, and we took him to dinner. I said, hey, Freddie, I'm being called racist from this. Now, Freddie, you have to understand, is the best defense attorney in the city of Indianapolis. When people get in trouble, he calls them the misunderstood. When they get in trouble, mostly black kids, guys, get in trouble, they call Freddie. Freddie looked at this and he goes, what's racist about this? I I don't know. I just saw something that said Jesus, but I understand it. It goes back to what I said at the beginning. If race-baiting guy who gives speeches and writes books on racism couldn't find fake racism, what would he really have? He would have squat. There's real racism to comment on. But I don't believe this woman, either way, is racist. I just think she's dumb. And I think most coaches these days are dumb. I do. I'm probably dumb for saying that. But that's just what I think. Hey, speaking of dumb, it's always fun to make fun of Kevin Blackestone. Kevin Blackestone is a reporter of really nondescript. He's another dude that has to find some kind of racial angst. And if he can't find racial angst, well, guess what? Eh. (laughs) He'll find it wherever he can. So, Kay Blackestone, who you see once in a while on, uh, what is that show with that Rinaldi guy? Whatever it's called, Round the Horn. He said this, a veteran sports writer, uh, hold on a second, uh, Kevin Blackstone, the veteran sports writer, received the SAC and Fox Nation annual Governing Council Treasurer's Report. And in it, it was revealed that the Blackhawks, Chicago Blackhawks organization, had given 433000 The problem was that, uh, giving it to indigenous people. The problem is that is what? There is no problem. Hey, man, we're using your logo. We're using your name. We're going to pay for it. It's the American way. Blackstone, however, says this. That's almost half a million dollars the Chicago team has given Sack and Fox. And what looks like, what looks like to this guy, because it has to look like this to this guy. It must look like a racial, uh, a, a racial deal to Blackstone, because if it did not, here we go again. Blackstone would have no value as a sports writer. He doesn't know sports. He has no opinion on nothing. He never played nothing. And he is the poster child for the I don't respect my job, so I dress like hell, look like hell when I'm at my job sports writer. It just is. I'm sorry. So Blackstone says it looks like an attempt to purchase indigenous support for its misappropriation of native iconography. Okay there, Kevin. Well, maybe it is. Maybe it is. But you know what my mother used to say? It takes two to tango, boys and girls. That's right. It takes two to tango. So the Blackhawks aren't paying off somebody that, guess what, doesn't want to be paid off. Are you crazy? Of course they want to be paid off. You know what all of this is? No matter the Chicago franchise argument that it is acting out of compassion, it it smacks as another form of, wait for it, sports washing. That term that the Saudis are laughing at us. 
while idiots on TV and in print worry about words like sports washing, guess what? The people of Saudi Arabia are doing. They're getting into sports. The Blackhawks are paying for the privilege of using logos. Kevin Blackstone, you don't like it. You don't like anything. Who cares? The, that 21st century Port Manitou that sums up how institutions trending in controversy use sports to deflect the public's attention from what may be problematic and may be to burnish an institution's regard in the process. Blow it out your ass. Hey, look, the Blackhawks want to keep being the Blackhawks. They want to wear their iconic jerseys. They want to use their iconic symbols. And there's a price for that. And if some African-American dude that writes for the Washington Post and I think lives in Dallas don't like it, I got two words for you. How about that? There's my two words. Who gives a rat? The Washington Post has to find, and Kevin Blackstone has to find, racial inequities in everything. Absolutely everything or else it would cease to exist. You can't have Kevin Blackstone writing about sports because he don't know anything about sports. It's like Greg Doyle of the Star writing about sports. Terrific human interest writer. Go find some 90-year-old that threw a fastball in the big leagues and write about it. Tremendous. Yay, Rob, go fight, win. But don't write about sports, actual sports, or you end up in Indianapolis's case having a writer that says Archie Miller's a grand slam hire, having a writer that says Jonathan Taylor absolutely doesn't want to be back in Indy two days before Jonathan Taylor signed a contract to do what? Stay in Indy. So Blackstone, Doyle, all these guys, they don't know nothing they're writing. They know to be a victim. They know to try to go at others. But they don't know squad douche. So Kevin Blackstone... You're making my ass tired. You're giving me gas. Stay on your little TV show with your other libbies and just talk. Just talk. All right. My man, Bruce Pearl, is no joke when it comes to defending the Jewish people. He's the most outspoken coach in college basketball, in college sports, and with reason. He's Jewish. Saw what happened in Israel. Passionate. He's called the government out, too. He ain't afraid. Bruce Pearl next. Man, I'm fired up. Sack the hell up and don't go anywhere. Don't at me. We'll be right back after this. Getting ready to take on spring? Make your first move with the reliable performance and power of steel tools. From hedge trimmers and mowers to string trimmers and more, Right now, you can save $20 on the steel MS-162 or MS-170 chainsaw. Real steel. Offer valid through June 30th, 2024. See participating retailer for details. Hey, uh, we're going to get with Coach Pearl coming up here in a minute. Ladies and gentlemen... We got big-time football coming up this weekend. We got Oregon and Washington. And ladies and gentlemen, I got to tell you, I don't know how you feel about Oregon and Washington, but I do got to tell you, I'm kind of excited for that. Did you know 
that Michigan, I think rightfully, is trying to lock up Jim Harbaugh with the biggest contract in college football history. Did you know that Jim Harbaugh is going to, at least Michigan is going to attempt to pay Coach Harbaugh more than the $10.3 million that is being paid currently to Ryan Day? And I got to tell you, the dude's worth every penny. I didn't think he was, but now I think he is. Because when you look at what Deion Sanders has done over in Colorado, coaches matter. I mean, Auburn sold out. Auburn's a national player in college basketball because Bruce Pearl is the head coach, period. Coach Pearl joins me now. You are. Coaches matter. And I'm sitting there looking at what Deion has done, what you've done at Auburn, and what Harbaugh going and beating Ohio State. People can bitch all they want about coaches' salaries, but when you do the numbers, you in Auburn, Alabama, what you've brought is phenomenal, and you deserve every dime you're getting. Seriously. <laughs> well, my brother, thank you. Uh, you know, it, it, people ask me, why why, why'd you go to Auburn? And I get that question sometimes. And I just say, look, Auburn is one in everything. You know, they got great football program, great men and women, lots of great history. How about this trio, Dan? Charles Barkley, Bo Jackson, uh, and, and Frank Thomas. And, and, and then you add on wow. Cam Newton, SUNY Lee. It's pretty strong. And, uh, you know, the fact that we were able to be competitive now and win some championships the last couple of years. But as you know, my brother, it's easier to get something going <laughs> than it is to keep something going. So don't tell me how a great coach I am when we're getting ready to play Baylor in about three weeks. I don't think, I don't think I'm a very good coach right now. Hey, that's, that's in the future. Ah, that's in the future. Shoot. Let's just, Hey, look, let's talk the past final fours champion sold out arenas. But you know what? I saw that thing about Barkley and Frank Thomas. I tried to come up in Indiana and Isaiah is the only guy in the history of IU basketball, at least under coach Knight, that has played in an NBA all-star game. How about that? So I got Isaiah, I guess well, I, I got he... Randall L. Huh? You got to add Coach Knight. I mean, I think Coach Knight himself would be – he's first on the list. Isaiah's right there. Uh, yeah, I mean, but we don't – football, we're struggling. Um, and ba baseball, Schwarber, pretty good. Ted Klazuski back in the day. Uh, yeah. You know, I saw that thing on Auburn, and I'm like, damn. By the way, Barkley said this, and I want, I'm want i going to get into other stuff, more much more important stuff. But since you brought up Barkley, he stated that the NIL is making college sports a travesty and a disgrace. You're in the middle of it. Barkley, guys like me, we're not. What is your reaction to that? Well, first of all, I love the fact that Charles is authentic. I love the fact that you are too. <sighs> and so, look, um, I'm really happy that, like, when my kids graduate, I would tell my kids, look, I don't want you to work at Subway. I want you to own five of them. Right. That's what I want you to do when you leave here. And I want you to think big. So I think it's really, really cool. I'm I, look, I believe in the American way. I, I believe in uh, uh, in capitalism. I believe what an amazing country we have here. Uh, opportunity for everybody. If if somebody thinks a player is worth a half a million dollars or somebody thinks Deion Sanders is worth what they're thinking about paying him. And that's what the market bears. I know we were about pro and amateur. And I've all about been the amateur model for years and years and years. Um, the NCAA was ignorant, arrogant, and late to the game in compensating the student-athletes enough, soon enough. 
We should have settled the O'Bannon case. We've got to get our arms around this. It's it's a little, it's not sustainable because right now we're asking donors to do it, and it's it's or or advertisers, and it it, it has created some real disadvantage. And so um, I like it, but it definitely needs to sort of uh, uh, be administrated a little bit more equitably because that's what the NCAA is all. If we're going to have a national collegiate athletic champion, then we all got to sort of play by somewhat the same rules. And right now we're not playing by the same rules. So that's why I love the benefits for the student athletes, but we got to kind of make it uh, the power five have all got to sort of be doing similar things and we're not. That is a great political answer because there's no way in hell you can go anywhere because this show, when you're on, it gets picked up. Fox picks it up. Sports Illustrated, everybody picks it up when you're on with me. So if you would say, yeah, I hate it. I don't want my players to make any money. I want to go back to the old way because I'm an old school guy. That wouldn't <laughs> be very smart. But I love, I think you couched that perfectly. And I want to get into something else. You know, um, obviously near and dear to your heart, what's going on in Israel. You've been very vocal. And I want to start here, Bruce. Uh, you came out and said almost immediately that what transpired in Israel with Hamas and the attacks and all of this brutal, torturous attacks, you went and immediately said this is a product of a weak United States government. Can you expound on that? I, I will, Dan, as, as long as, as when we finish... We give the give me the opportunity to go from where are we going to go from here. Um, I, I yes, don't like 100%, looking, absolutely. But, yeah, I don't like looking back too much. Uh, I, I don't like being every now and then in coaching. We say, "I look, I don't want to be right about this. I, I, I don't." Uh, but yeah, uh, we called it. We obviously called it, and in, in, in several ways. First of all, you got to know who your enemy is, um, and I don't want to be enemies with anybody. I, I want to be. I, I want to be. I want to be in peace, and I want to be in friendship. I keep telling people all the time, Abraham was the father of all nations. And whether whether you like it or not, or we like it or not, and I actually happen to like it, I am brothers with all of my Christian friends through Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, David, and Jesus. That brings us, we, we, we are tied together, whether we like it or not. And I like it. And Abraham's the father of all nations through Ishmael and Isaac. And so I, I don't like to be divided. But here's the deal. If Iran wants to call out Israel and they're for the destruction of the state of Israel, and they've been saying it since 1979 when the Shah was, was, was removed, I take them at their word for it. If Israel's neighbors, Hamas, Hezbollah, Islamic Jihad, is for her destruction and therefore the death of her citizenry, I take her word for it. Dan, you're, you're, you're in Indiana and you've got a next door neighbor. And your neighbor has publicly stated that he covets your wife, that he covets her. And by the way, she's a good-looking girl, hell of an athlete, too. And um, But I don't covet her, and I'm not out there publicly covering her. Are you going to wait for your neighbor to come over there and do what he says he's going to do to your wife, or are you going to do something about it? And here's what Israel's done. For 75 years of its existence, they built a border wall. They built security. They they built defense weapon systems. Who, who, what country accepts 2,000 rockets a year for the last 10 years and doesn't go on the offensive and doesn't, it's simply defensive? Well, now, the, based on what happened on Simchas Torah this last Saturday on Shabbat, 
where a thousand Jews were murdered because they were Jewish, men, women, children. We haven't had that many Jews killed and murdered since the Holocaust. This is a Holocaust. This is a crime. And right now what's about to take place has nothing to do with revenge. This is not about revenge. What Israel must do now has nothing to do with revenge. It's about survival. When you heard what happened, uh, and you did call it. Uh, I do want to go to this and, and I'll get go, your take I'll, I'll go on back the six. Minutes. I'll go back to that. I, I, I didn't. But, I didn't finish the point you asked me to finish. Go ahead. Yeah. Go. No. Go ahead. Uh, uh, you, the six billion dollars that was now they say is frozen. But I got to tell you, I don't believe anything I'm told by our government. I'm sorry. I don't. Maybe I'm wrong, Bruce. But they told us so much garbage. So this is supposedly frozen. Biden had a chance yesterday to come out and say, we are freezing this. It is absolutely not going in. He did not do that. He did stand with Israel. Good for him. But I would think that that would be something that I would do immediately if that is, in fact, a truth, that it is in this account and it is frozen, Bruce. Right. And so, Dan, if, if you've got $6 billion to be able to spend on food and medicine and things for your people— Okay, that freed up the six billion that we're going to have to use for that, anyways. Right now, I just got six billion more dollars to fund the proxies, and that's all Iran has been doing. All the people I mentioned before, Hezbollah, Hamas, Islamic Jihad, they're funded by Iran primarily. And you know the bad thing about it? They're also funded by the United States of America, and they're funded by the taxpayers of this country. And here's the the background to that. And this is what I've been talking about for years, when President Obama decided to really sort of balance the scales of power in the Middle East. And let's just say, Dan, I believe, and I, I let's just say I believe, all well-intentioned, let's say that, 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 that the Biden administration and the Obama administration were well-intentioned and believing this was the best path towards peace, okay? They went ahead and they said, you know what? We got, Iran shouldn't have a nuclear weapon, so let's get involved in a negotiation with them. And let's sit down and let's reward them financially, Let's let's let them become a part of the you know the normal world society uh, out there. Even though they've been terrorists and whatever, let's say listen. Tell you what, you guys calm down over there, and we're going to start opening up all the funds that you guys have. We're going to let you start selling oil. We're going to give you all kinds of aid, and okay, and all you got to do in return is just don't become a nuclear power. That's it. And what the Israelis were saying. And by the way, that treaty it goes away in ten years completely. Okay. Well, Israel says, and Netanyahu comes to Congress and said, please don't. Get into this. Right now, the Iranian government prior to Obama was beginning to struggle. Their people were uprising because of the crazy Islamic jihad, the religious extremists. Oh, by the way, remember, Obama would never say that. He wouldn't even call them any kind of religious zealots or extremists. That was forbidden. And guess what? We funded them and we empowered them. And what did they do? They gave all that money and there was terrorism in the world. Okay, Trump comes in. And I know some people don't like Donald Trump because he tweets or because he's not presidential, he doesn't do that. But his policies were spot on. He comes in and says, wait a second. There's pay to slay? No, wait a second. You mean Hamas and the Palestinian Authority, they're actually taking money. And if you kill a Jew or you murder a Jew or you do this suicide mission, whether they're going to put your house, they're going to take care of your family and going to pay. This is ridiculous. We're not funding that. And he cut it off. He cut off Iran. And he said, you know what? You're not keeping to your treaty. You're still producing weapons grade, getting the weapons grade material. You're building rockets to be able to deliver it. 
Right now, Russia is counting on Iran to build all their, their drones, and they're at war with us over there in Ukraine. They're our sworn enemy because they say they are. They were our enemy in Iraq. They're our enemy in, in Ukraine, and they're enemy in the Middle East. And so what you got to do, you got to call it, you got to call it what it is. And, 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 and obviously what's happened now is they've emboldened them, they've empowered them, and they've enriched them, and they've given them the money. So yes, these policies by Obama and now Biden have actually just really, quite frankly, created the crap that we got in this world in foreign policy right now. And right now, and I don't know whether these guys are trying to fulfill a biblical prophecy or not, but right now, this world has never been, maybe never, not since World War II, has this world ever been this, you know, this this dangerous? Bruce, I, I, you mentioned it earlier, um, going forward. Um, to, before I get to that, though, I, I, I'll never understand. I, I honestly, I, I don't understand this. You know, you educate me every time I have you on. I, I'll not understand how lawmakers in this country uh, refuse to comment or condemn the terrorist acts of slaughtering babies, of killing families, of paratrooping into music festivals and uh, yep. viciously murdering innocent people. I, you know, look, you can have whatever side I guess you're on, I, I guess. But to me, this is a no-brainer. This is just being a human being condemning what what transpired here. Yeah. Well, you're talking about Rashida Tlaib from Michigan, and uh, she was on it's yesterday. And it's, it's unbelievable. You know, let me shift it in gears to that. I think it's awesome that in the House of Representatives in our country, and I know this is very different than what many of your listeners might believe, and I'll talk about Tlaib here in a second. I think it's awesome that in our country we have a House of Representatives that can represent the people in that community. Well, guess what? In parts of Michigan, there are very large Palestinian populations, and they've sent Rashida to leave yep. to Washington, and they have every right to do it. And Omar, Ilan Omar, is a Somali, and she comes from a part, part of Minneapolis where there's a lot of Somali residents. I think that makes our country unique, and I think it makes it great. I disagree with everything they believe in and what they stand for. And, and you know, for Rashida Tlaib yesterday to fly the Palestinian flag in the halls of Congress, okay, and for her to not be able to simply answer a question about the atrocities that are taking place, that's all about politics. That's all about, you know, getting reelected and, and sort of catering to her base. And uh, it's embarrassing. Um, but she has obviously uh, a, a constituency that she represents, and she is representing them. She is representing them. And so here's the deal. You know, Dan, we've I, we've known, as Israel has defended herself for 75, 76 years, um, we we prayed and we hoped that somehow that they could they could have peace. And since 1948, when Israel was created as a state, even though it was the ancestral Jewish homeland and the Jews have been in Israel since the beginning of time, just go read the Bible. Um, uh, it, the Jews then didn't really like the deal the United Nations gave them. It, it, it cut out part of Jerusalem. It was really quite small. Uh, they wanted a bigger footprint. But you know what? At least it was the beginning of something. But the rest of the Arab world, when they got the rest of it, said, nah, no way. We, we don't want it. We want it all. And the day Israel was created, the Arab world went and attacked her. And you know what? They gained some land. Israel lost part of Jerusalem, part of East Jerusalem. And, um, you know, it's... It, the, the deals that the Palestinians have walked away from convince me one thing and one thing only. They don't want to live as neighbors of Israel. 
They're not interested uh, in, 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 in their own state. You know, they're interested in all of Israel. From the river to the sea is from the Jordan River to the Mediterranean Sea. That's all of Israel. What exactly would they, would they like to do with the 6 million Jews and the 3 million Arabs that are living there? Well, they showed us last Saturday what they want to do. They want to slaughter us. They want to murder us. They want to cut the heads off of babies. And now the world has seen what Israel has known and seen for 75 years. And so the question is really simple. What if it was this country? What if just, say, either Mexico or Cuba or whatever? Let's say, just take Cuba because it's a geographical example. Let's say in Little Havana in Miami, those Cubans did not want to live in Miami. They didn't want to live in the state of Florida. They didn't want to live in the United States. They wanted to be part of Cuba. And to help them do it, uh, a bunch of Cuban terrorists and militarists, they got in a bunch of boats and they cut through the fence and the wire and they landed. And let's say a thousand Israelis com com computes uh, geographically to about 30,000 Americans. And they murdered the, the way they murdered the Jews on Saturday was the way they murdered men, women, and children and civilians at a concert in Miami. How would this country react? Right. Well, some some people right. are reacting like, let's start talk about peace. Let's 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 no more death. Let's lay our arms down. Listen, Israel is done being on the defensive. They've got a they've got to protect their people. And the only way to protect it now is to is to destroy their enemy. The enemy is not the Palestinian people. The enemy is not the Arabs. The enemy is the leadership. Hamas, Hezbollah, Islamic Jihad. And you know what? Even the leaders in Iran. What are, what, what's going on? Dan, when are, we, when are they going to get a nuclear weapon? If Hamas could do what they did, then the world should not be so shocked when in a year from now, next fall, Iran has got possession of a nuclear weapon and obviously have demonstrated their, their, their barbarism and their willingness to do, use it. I don't think Israel... And I don't think the United States can wait any longer. All right. What did Biden do yesterday? He did what I think he had to do. He sent that carrier fleet out there. It sent a message. But he did not take it quite far enough. I'm, I'm, I'm grateful that he's supporting Israel. And, Dan, this needs to be a bipartisan issue. It doesn't, it doesn't need to be a conservative issue, a Republican issue. We need Congress. We need, we need Americans to be able to stand with our greatest ally. But I would have placed one. I would have done. I would have done the following things. Number one, I would have got the six billion frozen, freeze the six billion right now. Don't let them have access to it because they've funded all this. So, so you want to keep funding it right now? Fund it out of that humanitarian aid because we're not giving any more humanitarian. Aid. The second thing I do is go back to the embargoes. Stop producing three billions of barrels of oil. We can produce that ourselves and, and make the money from that. So open up some of the drilling. And, and, and I know like I sound like I'm on Fox News, but I'm sorry. I believe this with all my heart. Stop enriching our enemies. Okay. Yes, and, absolutely. and send them a warning. Send them a warning. Say, if you get involved in this, if Hezbollah sends the rockets down, we're involved. Look, we're involved. We, 14 American citizens were murdered. Okay. They're holding let's say a dozen or dozens of American hostages. This is not about paying them for them back. Let's go get, let's go get them back. Let's get as many back as we possibly can. I'm, I'm sorry. It's not like Israel is asking for the United States to be involved. They're saying, let's give us support so we could do it. But if I'm the USA, listen, thank, thank you, Israel. 
But those are American citizens. We're coming in. We're coming in to get our people out. Why do you think they won't? I don't think I don't think Biden would. I, I don't think he would. I honestly right don't. Then, I, unless I, I, I think it would be this, Bruce. I think he would see which way the wind blows and then make a decision. I think I, I, that's what I think. But I could be dead wrong. What do you think? Well, I don't want American troops on the ground. I don't. But I want our hostages home. And if if the American troops and special forces have the ability to to try to rescue some hostages only because there are Americans involved, would I even begin to suggest it? Um, I I think so far so good, Dan. But what's going to happen is this. You know, right now, and Golda Meir said it, you know, the world doesn't really mind the Jews when they're victims. But the world doesn't really like the Jews when they're strong or powerful or, or, or whatever they are. And uh, in, a, in, in a very short period of time, you're already seeing it now uh, because, you know, you're seeing student groups on different campuses and you're seeing different organizations that are coming out in support of the Palestinians. Just wait till they see some of the some of the some of the carnage that's going to take place in Gaza as Israel attempts to remove their leadership and, 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 and destroy Hamas. And, and you watch how quickly the backbone uh, and, and the rhetoric stops. And that's what I'm praying for. I'm just praying. And here's what I would do if I was the United States. And, and in some ways, President Biden's done it. Hope he keeps to it. This is a fight between Hamas and Israel right now. Stay out of it. You know, you've been in fights before, Dan. Every now and then, a couple of guys score off. And then there are a bunch of people that say, break it up, break it up, break it up. And then there's some people who say, no, 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 no. Let them fight. Let, let them fight. Just, you, guys, you, guys, you guys stay out of it. And I think that's what the world needs to do right now. The world needs to stay out of it and let Hamas and Israel fight and go to war. We're not Israel can't sit still any long longer and allow its neighbor to rape, murder their people. And so this fight is between Hamas and as a United States big brother, I'd say the rest of the world, stay out of it. Or if you don't stay out of it, you leave us no choice but to get more involved. Well, you just had mentioned that, you know, America's already in it because of hostages and 14 dead, Bruce. Yeah, I, I, I agree. But I think I would let my brother Israel at this point, I'd support my brother Israel in this fight, but I would let her fight. And um, I, I would, uh, I, I don't call for uh, the United States to have to get involved militarily, you know, right now, with the exception of that they decide they need to do it to get their hostages. But give Israel the ability, the arms, the support um, to be able to, because listen, Dan, um, you know, we're either going to be, and, and I know some people struggle with this, and I do too. Um, um, you know, if we didn't get involved in World War II, all right, Hitler would have, would have, could have possibly won. And, and if we didn't create that second front, um, you know, who knows what the world would have looked like. And I know, I know that, you know, we have a lot of questions about how much we should be involved in different things and stuff like that. I agree with it. Um, we don't want our, our resources to be wasteful. Uh, but at the same time, I still think that this is where we're, we're, we, we have been the world's greatest superpower and we do want peace and stability. We had it two or three years ago. And if, if, there's, if there's anything we've learned, it's strength through power and appeasement does not work. Putin would not have gone to Ukraine if we had strong leadership. Um, China would stay at bay if we had strong leadership. Uh, Trump moved the embassy 
to Jerusalem and the world said, oh my God, there's going to be war. No war. There was no war, not a, not a peep. But as soon as they, as soon as the world sees weakness, that's when all of a sudden that's right. um, the terrorists come out. That's right. Kindness is not anything other than perceived as weakness in these type of things, in my opinion. That's the way. Bruce, I, last thing, I got a couple minutes before I let you go. You work on a college campus. You've been on college campuses your whole life. Disappointing to you to see places like Harvard and other universities come out in support of the Palestinians? It does, but it doesn't surprise me. Um, and uh, yeah. disappointed. Let me tell you what I did this morning. I have got bagels with Bruce uh, like two or three times a year, and the kids come over the house for Fenica, and we do the Jewish holidays, and, and, and there's not a lot of Jewish students at Auburn, uh, but there are some. We had 60 kids this morning. And let me tell you something, Dan. Every one of them wanted a hug. Uh, there were there was there was tears in many of their eyes. They can't take their eyes off the television. They can't concentrate. I'm I'm you know trying to write a practice plan and and I'm trying to do this and and Dan I'd rather honestly rather be on with you and 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 and, and talking to my friends in Israel and different places and and working our way you know through this. So that's what we did rather than a protest or or and we did it privately and we just. We, we, we played the national anthem. We played Hatikva, the, the, the anthem of, the, uh, of Israel. Um, and, 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 and we got some kids that are just really, really hurting and scared because they recognize they're Jewish and they recognize their targets. And, um, and, and, and so anyways, um, yes, it, it does bother me. But you know what? We do what we can. We do the best we can with what we do. And, um, and that, that's all we can do. I, let me tell you something. I, I'd be scared. I think anti-Semitism is at its all-time high. You and I have talked about this before this happened. It is, and uh, we need a whole nother show to be able to figure out why. But, you know, for yeah, me, right. again, I said, right. again, I said it before. I said it before. I didn't go to Hebrew school and learn uh, lessons about how Jesus was Jewish his whole life and how he was an incredible rabbi and an amazing teacher and that his parents were Jewish. And I guarantee you, when you were in school— uh, you know, your, 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 your Christian or Catholic Bible study or whatever, you weren't learning all about Jesus being a Jew either. And, uh, and, and, and that's the problem. And then to me, that, that, that brings us together, brother. And we're in this together. Hey, Bruce, great stuff, man. Thank you for being oh, outspoken. Thank you for your passion, man. Thanks for coming on. Dan, thank you for your courage and thank you for the opportunity. God bless you. And, 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 and God bless you. God Israel. bless you. Man, I hope those kids are, are okay, man. I'm telling you, on college campuses, thanks, Bruce. On college campuses right now, for Jewish kids, it's got to be frightening as hell. For uh, my, my nieces and nephews are in New York City, Jewish. My brother married uh, Roberta, raised their kids Jewish, and they're in New York City, and I know they're scared to death. Uh, they're brave as hell, but the world is what the world is right now, and particularly uh, this anti-Semitism has got to stop. It just, it's, it's got to stop. We need rational thinking. We need people of courage. And this isn't going to stop anytime soon. And I'm scared to death for my nieces. I'm scared to death for my nephews. I am. Thanks to Bruce for coming on. If you want to follow Bruce on Twitter, it's an amazing follow. It's the smartest follow that you're going to have. And it doesn't have anything to do with basketball. It just simply doesn't. That's why I have so much respect for Bruce. He's an unbelievable basketball coach, but even better person. And you know what? Give him a follow and see what you think. Steve Garvey. 
uh, is coming on next. He just announced that he is going to run in California as a Republican. By the way, the Republicans haven't haven't elected a excuse me a Republican hasn't been elected in California to the Senate since 1988. Think about that. We'll be right back. Looking for the hottest sports book offers at Outkick? Find exclusive promotions, expert picks, and the latest odds. Get in the game at Outkick.com backslash bet. That's it. I got to take a break. We'll be right back with more on Don't At Me across the Outkick Network. Getting ready to take on spring? Make your first move with the reliable performance and power of steel battery tools. From hedge trimmers and mowers to string trimmers and more, Right now, you can save $50 on select battery tool sets. Real steel. Offer valid on select AK system sets through June 16, 2024. See participating retailer for details. Hey, welcome back. Bruce Pearl was absolutely outstanding, not only about NIL, which we talked about to start with, but obviously what's going on with the Palestinians and the Israelis and the war that I think is not going to stop anytime soon. In fact, I said this yesterday, my wife and I were talking and it's like, you know what? I feel like this has been going on my entire lifetime, but this, this is going to be the war to end it. I think, I mean, I look, Bruce was very, very good as he always is. All right, let's get to some college football. Let me throw something out to you. I like angst. All right, I don't like this, hey, after games, players are swapping jerseys. I wish the NFL broadcast would cut away from the game as soon as the game is over. Why? Because I get tired of guys sitting there laughing that just got their brains beat out. Look, I don't want to see the Colts sitting there giggling with the Jaguars after the Jaguars beat them for like the eighth straight time. I don't need that in my life. I don't need that. Who needs that? I want to see angst. Well, guess what? Here it is. Maybe I have a new, ladies and gentlemen, a new favorite athletic director. His name is Troy Dannon. He is the new Washington, University of Washington athletic director, and he's taking shots. Yeah, he is. He's taking shots, and I'm not mad at the shots, ladies and gentlemen. Here's what he said. If budgets won championships... Ohio State and Texas would win everything, and they haven't won much lately. My man here says it's about the people. Well, maybe not, but they've won enough. Not Texas, but Ohio State certainly did. They've won plenty, and they've been in the college football playoff, and it'll be interesting. But I like shots. I like the fact that Deion Sanders uh, uh, takes shots, even though he says he doesn't. That's all that guy does is take shots. I like angst. I like Purdue and Indiana. That's the rivalry that we have here. I like them if they get in a fist fight on the field or on the basketball court. I like the fact that Indiana folks talk a little smack about basketball, even though Purdue obviously had the better year until the tournament. But Indiana beat them twice. I want to see Purdue get pissed about it. Zach Eady actually do something other than shoot jump hooks. Show a little fire. That's what I like. So I'm not mad at this athletic director coming out and taking a few shots. I'm tired of Micah Parsons, though. 
That's a pretty good segue. Micah Parsons talks and talks and talks and talks. Now, look, he's a terrific player. No one's not saying he is. But when you haven't won nothing, See, Draymond Green can do his, his uh, thing and put up a mic. By the way, this is a great-looking mic that I just got out. He can put up his mic and do some things and say stuff because he's won championships. He's part of a dynasty in the NBA. Micah Parsons is part of crap. And really, that's what ultimately, well, that's what it ends up being. That's where the world goes. The world goes to crap. When it comes to the Dallas Cowboys, it starts out good. It's like good food. Oh, man, they start out great. And then the regular season comes. And it goes through your stomach, into your intestines. And then now we get later in the season. And you know what? You lift the cheek, you go to the toilet, and it comes out what? Crap. That's what happens here, ladies and gentlemen, with the Dallas Cowboys. And Micah Parsons is angry. Okay, Micah, he sends a warning to 49ers tight end George Kittle after wearing a F Dallas shirt. He says the Cowboys will respond if the team ends up winning again. George Kittle had three touchdowns on us, and he posted this thing on IG. He said, F Dallas. I just feel like he's waking it way more personal than it had to be. Of course you did, Micah, because you are the new poster child for the millennial athlete. Talk and talk and talk. Have a few good years, get paid, and now we got to listen to you talk. He made it more personal. Well, it is personal. Kittle is my guy, but I'm going <laughs> to say this. Laugh now, cry later. Blah, blah. What do you hear when you hear Micah talk? Blah, 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 blah. That's it. Dude had one squat. Dude's team hadn't won squat since, I think, since I was teaching basketball at Indiana in like the early 90s. Not on the court, but in a classroom. They haven't won nothing. But yet we got to hear from Micah Parsons all the freaking time. And he said, George Kittle's my guy. He made sure he couches it. How about saying this? Hey, George Kittle kicked our ass. I ain't happy about it. He can wear that shirt all he wants, and until we kick their ass, I got nothing to say about it. Because, you know what? Actions talk, BS walks. And Micah Parsons, although a nice player, is completely full of crapola. Aaron Rodgers, Patrick Mahomes, Travis Kelsey, and guess who? Caitlin Clark. Yeah, Caitlin Clark, the Iowa Hoop star. Guess what she's doing? She's the first NCAA athlete and the only woman, because we always got to put in the only African-American, and if you're an African-American woman, holy hell, how is Abigail Reese or whatever the hell her name is, Angel Reese, how is she not on this? Racism by State Farm Insurance. She, ladies and gentlemen, continues to transcend sports. She signed a deal with guess what? State Farm. Jake from State Farm. Jake had to become African-American because Jake wearing his khakis wasn't funny enough. Honored to be the first college athlete joining the State Farm team. So where do I get the freshest khakis? Oh, that is cute. Yay, Ra. 
Go fight win. I'm all into it. Yay. Go Caitlin Clark. And I can't wait to see Caitlin Clark. I can't wait. And if the NCAA or whoever was smart, promoters are trying to get this done. It should be LSU against Iowa. That's it. Yeah. LSU against Iowa to start the season in a dome. Get 50,000 people in there. Break some records. Do what uh, Nebraska uh, volleyball did and get this bad boy going. Yeah. NHL, who came under fire because some of his players didn't care that men were having sex with men or women were having sex with women. They didn't care. They just wanted to play hockey. They didn't want to wear a sweater honoring men having sex with men and women having sex with women. They just wanted to play a little hockey. And all the usual cretins got all mad at them. Well, guess what? The NHL has banned, oh my God, can you believe this? They banned gay, lesbian pride tape. Oh, can you imagine? They issued a theme, including the ban on players using pride tape. I support that, NHL. They sent a memo to teams last week clarifying what players can and cannot do as part of theme celebrations, including a ban on the use of rainbow-colored stick tape for Pride Nights. Yeah, good. I don't care. I don't need to care, and neither do you. None of you really care. Only people that work at OutKick can say this. Nobody gives a rat's ass about an NHL player wearing a rainbow sweater, except people that once again must divide us. I'm not dividing nothing. I'm separating church and state, sports and sex. That's right. I don't care if men are having sex with men. I don't care who you're stooping. Unless, of course, it makes it into People magazine, and then I might take a read. But anyway, I don't care if you're a woman having a stoop with a woman. Doesn't matter. I can turn on the morning show and get all that stuff. Reese Witherspoon and some old-ass lady making out. Eh! I can get that on TV. I don't need it in my sports. And good for the NHL. Oh my God, you're espousing hate. No, I'm not. Don't try that crap with me. You're making people's lives in danger. No, I'm not. Don't try that crap with me. Put your black tape on there. Put your white tape on there and have at it. And I don't want to hear about it. You're giving me some gas. And I don't need gas today because I had good pizza last night and it went through clean as a whistle. That's right, clean as a whistle. Hey, let's get the stock up and stock down. You know, we haven't really covered baseball. We haven't covered it like we should. I got to tell you, I like baseball playoffs, but I swear to God, I cannot do it. I cannot watch every single play every single day. I can't. I'm sorry. I, I can't do it. Game two, Austin Riley at third base. Here's the headline. Austin Riley did two things wrong. He wasn't supposed to swing at that pitch, and he wasn't supposed to be there for that play, but he did. Right place, right time. He made two great, great, great plays. Riley's a stud, okay? Riley is a stud. Riley hits a home run. Riley makes a great play at third. Riley does everything you need. And you know what? After striking out twice... And rolling over, he said, look, I was trying to do too much. 
I was just trying to hit the ball hard. All right? Guess what? Uh, Riley, listen to this. He saw 131 sliders down and away. He had one hit, a soft liner over second. He thought he would see, ladies and gentlemen, a fastball. Well, guess what? Guy missed in the middle. He shortened up, got a hit, game over, they win. It went into the bullpen, home run. Austin Riley is a stud. He's a big old Mississippi boy. His teammate, Matt Olson, said he's very, very strong. Biggest crowd they've had in Truist Stadium in Atlanta. Uh, The 49ers, the 49ers are stock up because, well, frankly, George Kittle wore a shirt that made Micah Parsons mad, so we all have to talk about Micah Parsons. But even more than that, the 49ers with Brock Purdy beat the living you-know-what. I mean beat the crap out of Dallas. And I mean beat them and beat them and beat them and beat them and beat them. I mean beat them. And guess what? I'm here for it. Why? Because I'm tired of the Cowboys. I like Jerry Jones. I mean, he's 80 years old. And next thing you know, he's always trying to get his freak on with somebody much younger. I support that. Look, it takes two to tango. Women can just tell the men no. All right, stock up. It's Shaq. It's a Shaq showdown with LeBron James. That's right. LeBron James and Shaq both want to own a basketball NBA franchise in, wait for it, Las Vegas. That's right. He wants to own, he being Shaq, he wants to put a group together to buy an NBA franchise. LeBron James wants to buy an NBA franchise in where? Las Vegas. I support them both. I do. In 2022, LeBron was the first guy. He said, I want to bring a team here. I'm with him on that. I would love to bring a team here. That would be amazing. I know Adam Silver likes Abu Dhabi, but he sees every interview and he wants to bring him here. Now, Shaq, who's 51 years old, he wants to bring him here as well. He owns a bunch of big chicken restaurants based in Vegas. It's a staple in Vegas. And it does make sense to bring an NBA team to Vegas. My brother has gone to the Golden Knights games, which is the hockey team who won the Stanley Cup last year. He's gone before they won the Stanley Cup, and he's like, Dan, I'm telling you, it's the best introduction in all of sports. Like, everybody in Chicago tells you the one dude singing the national anthem is the greatest. Damn, my ass. I went, fell asleep, and went home. Uh, No, I didn't. I went to Gibson's, had a beer, and a nice steak with my wife. Anyway, I digress. The Vegas Golden Knights, fantastic. Absolutely fantastic. All right, stock down. Stock down. The Washington Post. Our guy, Kevin Blackestone. Kevin Blackestone is mad, speaking of the Blackhawks. Why, you ask? I'll tell you why. Because he thinks that a $433,000 payment to the indigenous group that, you know, is the Blackhawks in the Chicago area and the Fox Nation is bad. Eh, who cares? Look, money talks, BS walks. You want to pay for the right to use the logo? 
Good for you. You want to pay to get people to shut up? Good for you. It's the way of the world. Black and Stone don't like it? Good. Keep getting on TV. Keep looking like you haven't taken a shower. Keep looking like you dress like, a, a, like you don't respect your prevent, profession. And keep educating us and pissing into the wind. Blackhawks, the only thing I'm saying, $433,000. Uh, I know rounding it would mean you go to four hundred, but you got to round that bad boy up. I mean, if you're going to pay, pay. It's like if you're going to tip, don't get 15%. Get it up to 25%, and then we'll figure it out later. Justin Jefferson, IR. Devon Archer, IR. Fantasy owners, IR. Who else was put on IR? Anthony Richardson. Stock down. I don't know who this Devon Archer is, but I got to tell you, I'm sure he's on IR. But Justin Jefferson's a big loss. Last year, the Miami, or excuse me, the Minnesota Vikings won 13 games. Seven of them, one score, three points or less. Unbelievable. This year, they're like one in four already. All four losses by less than a touchdown. I say it all the time. Ladies and gentlemen, I tell you this all the time. Water finds its level. Now, you academicians say everything regresses to the mean. Yay, Rob, go fight win. Not I. No, no. I say water finds its level. I learned that from Mr. Chellup in physical science class. When I wasn't sleeping, I was paying attention. And when I paid attention, amazing, Mr. Chellup was a really good teacher. And when I paid attention, ucha capesta, my eyes are burning. Guess what? I actually learned something. Penn State, you continue to suck. Penn State's creepy. I've always said this. I flew in there one night. Got in, I don't know, kind of late. I'm driving in, and it's dark. And all of a sudden, this pen is on the side of the football stadium, and it's kind of over everything. And I remember thinking, this is creepy. Now, this was on the heels of Sandusky, which is really creepy, unbelievably creepy. But the truth of the matter is, I always felt the place to be creepy. So our good friend, Riley Gaines, is going there to give a speech. She was on her way to give a speech, I guess on her way, maybe a day before, the president of Penn State came out and talked about hate speech. Oh, my God. Hate speech. It's so hateful. What's so hateful about saying that dudes shouldn't be in a women's locker room? Let me ask you that again. What's so hateful about saying Dudes shouldn't be in a women's locker room. Now, you're going to say, well, they're women. Hey, look, I can identify as Tiger Woods, but when next time I go golfing, I ain't hitting a golf ball 400 yards. You can identify as a woman all you want, but if you got the schlong, guess what? You're a dude, if, in fact, you believe in science, if, in fact, you believe in biology. I'm just telling you. So, Penn State, angry. Couple guys got rowdy. Couple guys got arrested. Couple guys flipped over tables. There's nothing tougher than a Penn State man, a Penn State man, flipping over a table, getting angry at a woman who is coming onto campus to speak on, oh, I don't know, women only should play women sports. Oh, my God, can you believe it? The humanity, ladies and gentlemen, the nerve of this woman. Also, women should be allowed only, only women should be allowed in women's locker rooms. Just because you say you're a chick 
put on a bra. If you got a schlong, you ain't a chick. Now, I might respect you if you chopped that bad boy up, tucked it underneath, and went as a woman. I might. But you got the schlong, you ain't a chick. You can dress up as a chick. You can act as a woman. You can do all that stuff. But you're not. I'm sorry. Hey, get mad, glad, angry, or sad. I know you're not getting this crap on ESPN. And I don't understand how this isn't the number one show all across the world because I watch ESPN. I got to tell you, I watch, I watch all these morning shows and they're not giving me nothing. I'm giving you brilliance. I'm giving you unfiltered, unfettered. I'm giving you genius takes every single day. Actually, every single minute of every single day. Ladies and gentlemen, I don't know if you saw this, but Michelle Beadle, who's a friend of mine, she is claiming that LeBron James got her fired at ESPN. Now, this is an old claim that Michelle has made, but understand this. LeBron does have power. And if LeBron's told Stephen A. Smith and all these other goofs, hey, I ain't dealing with your network. If your cameras are in here, I ain't doing a press conference. I'll take whatever fine they want to give me. She says she was fired from ESPN due to LeBron James. I found out after I got fired. In all the chaos that ensued after I left, all this other information started to come out. I kind of got wind of it as I was leaving, and then more stuff came out. And I was just, man, what a crap show. You know James is a powerful dude. I mean, there's no getting around that he is an example and an entity upon himself. All the respect for building such a powerful entity on a name and doing it well. So, yeah, people are going to listen. Next. I like Michelle Beadle. I've always liked Michelle Beadle. I can't read this because I got it wrong. All right, it was hilarious. And I remember I got a DM that was like, why are you so mean to me on television? And I just sort of laughed it off. I didn't even think about it. Why are you so mean to me? I sent DMs to a guy named Benny Koo. I'm like, hey, jackass, how about you balance out the coverage of me? So I ain't mad at LeBron for doing it. Sometimes you stick up for yourself. Sometimes you don't. But this is an old story, and Michelle Beadle has a podcast. I told the guys, try to get her on at some point. I like Michelle Beadle. I think she's interesting. I think she's fun. I do. I'm all right with LeBron James. I've said this before and I'll say this again. When I recruited his high school, everybody loved LeBron James. Nobody said a bad word. Even people that were mad at him because he drove a Hummer and understand when you are in high school and you drive a Hummer, a lot of people are going to like you. A lot of girls are going to like you, but a lot of girls and a lot of guys are going to be jealous of you and not like you. Well, guess what? I never ran into anybody that didn't like LeBron James. Now, is he a bit of a weasel? Yeah. Did he walk out of a press conference with a purse? Yeah. I'm not big on some of the stuff he does, but hey, you know what? The head of, I think it was Universal Studios, took me, my wife, and Bart Fox around on a tour when CAA was courting me, and they said, look, when LeBron James brings us a project or his team, we listen because it's always very well organized. Didn't say the same thing about Magic Johnson, not even close. But hey, respect for LeBron James, respect for him reaching out. Why are you so mad at me? People act like that's a bad, what's your problem? I can dig it. Nothing wrong with that. 
But I got to tell you, everybody, when they hired Greenberg and her and Jalen Rose, there wasn't a soul alive that worked at ESPN that thought that bad boy was going to work. They knew that bad boy was done within six months, and it might have been sooner. People don't even remember that. That's the original Greenberg Get Up show. It was Beetle making a blank ton, Rose making a blank ton, and Greenberg making a blank ton. It was the replacement for Mike and Mike. Now the replacement for Mike and Mike is three people I really never heard of, although I did hear of Chris Candy. I worked with him one day, and it's got off. It is. All right. I'm going to get into this with Steve Garvey. The year, 1984, game four, tie game, Lee Smith on the bump. It was the first time the Cubs were in the playoffs in my lifetime. Garvey hits a two-run homer. Now, don't misunderstand it. He didn't put him into the World Series. They had to win the next night, the next day against Sutcliffe, and Leon Durham let one go through the wickets as I was sitting there naked with beers ready to dump on my head, and a Cubs had, I think, a 3-1 to lead. But I know exactly where I was when Garvey hit that home run in 84. I was across the street. Todd Meyer, Marty Simmons had an apartment right across from my apartment on this cul-de-sac. I had a party at my place. Too many people. So I went across an airplane. I got to watch the Cubs game. Too many people were at my house. It was the night my roommate, Big Balls Billy, a baseball player, grabbed a guy by the pants and the nape of the neck and threw him down the stairs because he was sleeping in his bed. Thank God there were no cell phones. Thank God there was no Twitter. Thank God there was no Facebook or Instagram or Snapface or whatever the hell it is. Thank God. Steve Garvey is running for Diane Feinstein's seat in California. We'll talk to the great baseball hero next. We'll be right back. Got to take a short break here. We are rolling with Don't At Me, and you don't want to miss it. Stay tuned. What's up, everyone? It's Nick Wright, and I got something exciting to talk to you about today. Angie, your ultimate destination for getting all your jobs done well. Now, Angie isn't just your average home services marketplace. It's a game changer with over 150 million homeowners served and a network of over 200,000 skilled pros. Angie has experience and expertise to tackle any project with ease. Whether you're looking to spruce up your backyard or undergo a major home renovation, Angie's got your back and their pros are locally based, often running small businesses right in your community. And here's the best part. Angie makes the process seamless from researching and comparing pros to scheduling services at your convenience. Angie's user-friendly platform puts you in control. So why settle for anything less than perfection when it comes to your home? With Angie, you can trust every project will be completed with the utmost care and professionalism. So get started at Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I, or download the app today to discover why homeowners across the nation are turning to Angie to get all their jobs done well. So I'm playing at Indiana. It's 1984. I'm getting ready for my uh, senior year. Uwe Blop, who became a first-round draft choice, is my roommate. Another guy, Roger Wallace. Billy Mueller was... 
first team all Big Ten catcher. We were all roommates. Before the season started, I had said, look, Cubs are going to go to the World Series. If they go to the World Series, I'm going to sit there. I'm going to dump, or excuse me, I'm going to dump old style all over my head. I'm running naked in our apartment complex. We get to the playoffs. It's game four. Some reason there's a party at my apartment, Steve Garvey. I go across the street to my friend's apartment because I had to watch this game as a Monster Cup fan. It's tied. You come up. I got Lee Smith going. And then you jack one. You jack one. I know where I was. I know what I was thinking. I know what I, I was doing. Congratulations. But in 84, God, you broke a lot of hearts of me and my friends. I heard I cleared out a lot of bars uh, five minutes after that home run, my friend. <laughs> <laughs> well, two Man. things. Thanks for voting, writing my name in for the ballot, the all-star ballot that year. I was a yeah. write-in candidate and ended up with a million votes, and you were one of them, so thank you. And the other thing yeah. is all you kids grow up, you know. Uh, it's great talking to you today. Yeah. You know, you know, Steve, I swear to God, like I'm 61 years old, and I, I, I had some great sports memories, all that kind of stuff, but not nothing like that. Played baseball, played in college, but nothing like what – do you even remember rounding the bases for that particular home run, which, by the way, is voted the best memory in the history of San Diego sports? Do you even remember yeah. rounding the bases? Well, you know, let's set up the situation again. Um, you know, I had gotten three singles in the, I think, third, fifth, and seventh to tie the game. Uh, it was a great game, one of the great postseason games in history. And now it's tied. Uh, Tony Gwynn's leading off on the on-deck serve. And he said, Garb, I'll get on. And you drive one to right. You know, I was a right center hitter. And he said, we'll end this thing. I said, okay, Tony. So he gets up, and as Tony Gwynn did, he gets on. And uh, I look at him at first base, and I, I, you know, we had this sign. He would let me know if he's going to steal. And uh, didn't give it to me. So Lee Smith threw that 97 fastball uh, outside a little bit for ball one. I looked at Tony again, and he must have thought to himself, Garth had a good take on that. And then... Uh, Lee Smith throws to first to check him, and I figure he's not going to fool around. He's a fastball pitcher, and he threw the fastball in a little more and out, and I squared up on it, took it the other way, and it went up, and it almost froze in time, that, that moment where, like the, almost like the natural, where the ball goes up, and I thought I hit it good enough, and I'm running to first, and I see Henry Cotto climbing the wall, and he's got his arm over, and I'm thinking, oh, no, the greatest catch in, in postseason history, and it hits about five feet up. <laughs> and that's when I went like this, and, and it's a classic picture in Sports Illustrated. Rounded the bases. Everybody's waiting for me. My shoe came off, uh, and it was about a 15-minute uh, standing ovation, which is really long. You know, you see a lot of them, but they're only a few minutes. Yeah. Uh, but still, that was game four. Uh, got to game five. Cubs had a... Had a three-run lead, and we keep battling back. And then back when relievers went three innings, Gossage came in, and, and it was all over, and we were on our way against the dreaded Tigers. Steve, I, I only refer to teams that I played on, my kids' teams, and the Chicago Cubs as we. So we had the lead. I was naked on my couch. I had a little cooler full of old style. Cubs are up three to one. I got naked? Sutcliffe. Naked, buck naked, because that's how we rolled. I went to church. It was a Sunday. I went to church. I stayed extra in Catholic church. And then Leon Durham let it go through the wickets. Through the wickets. Yes. Well, my, 
My wonderful wife is from Wheaton, so she was cheering for the Cubs then too. She probably skipped school, you know, to watch it. But uh, but that was baseball. It was a different era. It was a different time. It was passion. Cub fans. I was almost a Cub. I don't know if you knew that when I was a free agent. No, no. Um, I almost became a Cub within 24 hours, and for some reason, negotiations stopped, and and then I ended up with uh, in in Ray Kroc's uh, mountaintop home in La Jolla, and. And, you know, Ray was the founder of McDonald's and, of course, lived in Chicago. Uh, and he said, Stevie, you know, I think you can make a difference here. You know, I know on the field, but off the field. Uh, and he said, I only have one problem. And I said, what's that, Mr. Crock? He said, I can only pay you in Big Macs and French fries. And I said, can I have them for yeah, a lifetime? Okay. <laughs> he said, you can have them for a lifetime and I, I could probably find a few bucks and let's make you a padre and the rest is history. Yeah, well, let me ask you, did they give you the gold card? Can you Do you get free fries and hamburgers for the rest of your life? Well, you know, we look back in life, and I wish I would have said, Mr. Croc, can I buy a franchise? Uh, and he right. probably would have said, well, right. if, if you work it in, in an offseason at the one out in, you know, Poway or something, he said, I'll let you buy one. But I didn't think about it at that time and, uh, you know, could have had a few of them now. But, you know, as I look back... Yeah. I played for this iconic franchise in Los Angeles and helped perpetuate history. And then I went to San Diego and, and actually began history in 84 with the, the team we had with Gossage and Nettles and Gwen and the playoffs and then the World Series. So, you know, I don't think anybody ever thought I wouldn't be a Dodger. But when they made me an offer I could refuse, I ended up in San Diego and it turned out to be a great part of, of my history. Man, it sure did. Horrible part of Cubs history. And, and, uh, but, but, and again, I feel like a stalker because I know so much about you as a kid growing up. You know, Say and Russell and Lopes and Garvey and then Ferguson and Jaeger. I mean, hell, I could go through the whole thing. Let me go to what you just announced. 1988 yeah. is the last time Californians put a Republican in the Senate. You're all in on this. And I loved what you said. I didn't play for Republicans or, or Democrats or anybody. I just played for people. That's going to be, I assume, your campaign message. This is for people, not for an individual party. Absolutely. And, and, and I meant that. I took the field. I, I played the game. And I think people, uh, uh, people like me for it, whether it was at Wrigley Field or Yankee Stadium or, or wherever. They knew that I gave them 100% every day. I might not have the same uniform on, but we're in the entertainment business. And when they left, they knew they got their money's worth. And I think over the years, I was so blessed to play on great teams and have great moments and, and uh, great relationships. Uh, but I started in California when it was the heartbeat of America, um, where people went there with their dreams, you know, build families and businesses. And, and it's not that way now. It's a murmur, as is the rest of the country that's in this, under this siege uh with family values where it starts at home with the economy it goes to the gas station or the gas tank uh it goes to crime in our streets it goes to when we take our kids to school do are they getting the education we feel they need to prepare them for the future and to be our next leaders i mean career politicians in washington think about the business of of politics if they'd start thinking about the people and that's what ignited me to start thinking about people of California and the country need a voice, somebody they know, somebody they can trust, somebody that they, they went to work with. I had that great corner office, you know, and I failed and I succeeded, but I got up every day and kept swinging. Uh, and, and they know a couple of inevitable things in that 
I have common sense, I have compassion for people, and I build consensus. And that consensus goes back to the, the teams I played on. Um, but it's about respect for this country. And I was looking for somebody that, that may be running for office or was going to run for Senate that I could support, that I felt had the same ideals and values that I have and, and, and people and hardworking people of America. And I, I, I couldn't find anybody. Nobody wants to step up in California, like you said, somebody that has conservative values uh, for over 30 years now. But I think there's destiny. I think there's destiny in life. Uh, and I said to myself, I'm better than this. Let me see if I can find a path uh, for somebody who believes what I believe in such a, a liberal state. And I walked around the state and, and visited and talked to people and asked them, tell me about your life. And it's been five, 10, 15 minutes pouring their heart out and telling me how, how demanding it is every day uh, with the economy, trying to get ahead two hardworking parents and children in school, and just trying to break even every day, knowing that as of today, families are losing eight to $900 a month and 10 to $12,000 a year with this economy and how they're being treated by, by career politicians. Washington is dysfunctional. They need people who have beliefs like I do and core values like the people of Chicago and Illinois and California uh, to step up. And sure, it's a daunting task. Am I gonna win? Absolutely. Because talking to these people, now they have a voice. Now they're going to stand up like I am and say, I'm better than this. We're going to put Garvin in the Senate in a year. And he's every day going to go, go to the Senate, step up to the plate, so to speak, and battle for us. And we need more of that in this country now. It's a very weird race. Obviously, Feinstein leaves and then LaFonza Butler comes in and she's bragging on her Facebook, social media and she lives in Maryland, but she gets put in here interim. There are 14 candidates. Six of them are Republicans. Do you have to figure out, or is it an easy figure, why Republicans don't win? I mean, do you have to overcome something that has been, as I said, insurmountable to overcome since 88? You know, it's easy in California to get up every day in the weather and and to cheat, just keep going along and, and complaining and saying, yeah, the you know, things have to change. And at some point, things have to change. And there's no wrong time to do the right thing. And right now, at this point in my life, with the currency of millions of people who know me, it's time to stand up and it's time. You know, over these 30 years, a lot of people haven't stood up who are good, solid people, could be good representatives because they felt they couldn't win. I, I, never, I never got in a game that I didn't feel I could win. And I was in the great game of baseball, and now I'm tackling the great game of life because I've had 74 years of experience, and I've failed, and I've gotten up, and I've had challenges. And I think all those chapters up to now have made me a stronger person, somebody that can actually go through this state and talk to And this is going to be a national campaign. I mean, we've gotten responses from, from Europe and Australia and around the country uh, yesterday. We reached 15, 18 million people with, with articles and TV and radio. Uh, people want to hear somebody that's going to battle for them. And that's what I'm going to do. And this is going to be a tough, tough race. But like I said, a year from now, I'll be the next elected senator from California. California is interesting. I, I didn't realize this until I started doing a little bit of research. It isn't basically Democrat against Republican. The two highest vote getters face off against each other, correct? Yeah, it's a, a guerrilla election. And this is how things have been manipulated over the years, up to the benefit of, of, of the Democrats. 
Um, but this is going to be an interesting race. There's going to be going to be a, a bunch of Democrats running and probably me and maybe one other person. Uh, and this could probably going to be the first debate will be the middle of January. Uh, and I'm going to put a, a raincoat on with a hoodie because there's going to be a lot of a lot of food fights on the other side of the of the podium. But uh, but that's what they do. You know, they're battling uh, for the next job for their career. And I'm not when I'm elected, it's going to be one six year term, one six year run to make a difference. You know, hey, Steve, let me let me ask you, we see, you know, it used to be. If two guys told you something in a bar, it was the truth. Now it's like if three people on Twitter tell you something, it's the truth, right? How bad is it in your view right now in California? How bad is it in California? Taxes, homelessness, crime, businesses moving out, that type of thing. Well, that's that's just the beginning of the menu right there. When you, when you have to say to yourself, uh, can I take Candace out for a walk in, in my neighborhood? You got to think about it. You can't go into in Los Angeles and, and San Francisco, even a great city like, like San Diego, where everybody wants to live and seeing the homelessness there. And if you're a border like like we are in a southern border with San Diego and so forth, uh, there'll probably be 12 to 15,000 people going in just to San Diego in the next next month or so. So you got to be concerned about illegal immigrants. Um, education is it has been an attack on the on the core family attack on, on, on parents who want to bring, bring children onto this earth. Single greatest responsibility is for their wellness and their health. But what happens when you take them to school? You know, is that curriculum going to be more social than it is core subjects? I mean, that, there's the battle right now with our working families. Um, you know, the border, the border crisis right there, and it is a crisis. And aliens flowing in that aren't just staying around the border, that are going to Chicago and they're going to Boston and they're going to Seattle and they're going to Midwest, Indiana. Uh, and it's a strain on the economy. It's a strain on hardworking Americans, Americans or maybe immigrants who came over here the right way and who did it the right way and are living the life of their dreams. Now having their probably their jobs taken from them because of lower wages by by somebody who just came through the border. I mean, all these things our, make up our world and, and wherever you live. Some are more important than others. But I think the most important thing is there's a crisis of leadership in this country. Uh, and I think people have to get back to, you know, quickly, I was at a state dinner with, uh, with President Reagan, uh, invited me there with the president of Ireland and his wife, and we sit down to the lunch and I don't know how it happened, but President Reagan is at my table. And I got Maureen O'Hara and I got Sandra Day O'Connor and next to the president is, is Mrs. O'Reilly from Ireland. And next to her is Tip O'Neill. And I'm watching the dynamics between Reagan and Tip O'Neill, diabolically opposed in terms of politics, but realizing that they were in a position uh, to do the will of the people. And they bannered back and forth, and then they would whisper to each other. And ultimately, they became the two that, that, that created the destiny of, of a great economy uh, and America as we know it. Now, those are the kind of guys that, that you would like and I like who set an example of doing the right thing and doing it the right way. Doesn't that seem so far, so far gone yeah. right now? It seems like everybody's married to their party. Everybody's married to the ideology of their party and can't get to a bipartisan agreement on damn near anything. 
And that's the gridlock in Washington. That's the dysfunction. Uh, one voice at a time. Hopefully it's mine. And another one says, yeah, somebody asked me today, who is, uh, who's the senator uh, that you most respect? And I've met a lot of them. And I said, well, I, I hope that after I'm elected and after six years and, and after that, uh, people will say, you know, a senator like Steve Garvey, who, who went to Washington strictly for the people, not, not a, a, a politician, career politician, didn't know, any, didn't know anybody anything but just went there simply for the good of the people in the country. I think that would be the greatest compliment. And that's the way I've lived my life. I, you know, I was so blessed. I've always said, you know, God gave us free will and choice. You know, he, uh, he asked us to be responsible. Uh, and I think once we realize that life is so precious and we, and we can control our destiny by who we are and our actions, uh, then at times like this, uh, especially this year and starting yesterday and for the rest of this race, uh, it's my time to stand up, and maybe it is my time uh, to have a, a greater influence on society. You're, you're there. You mentioned um, you mentioned immigration, illegal immigration. Where are you at? You know, Trump was building a wall. Now, you know what? There were barricades in Texas, and now Biden is saying, wait a second, you know, I'm going to go build a wall. Where, where are you at with all this? Can you explain to people? I live in Indianapolis. Can you explain to people how bad it is? Well, when you've had, uh, is it 8 million? Is it 10 million illegal immigrants uh, who may have been, pro they say they're processed, but they're processed and told to come back in two years. They're not going to come back. They're going to go into, in, into right. society. Uh, drug trafficking, uh, fentanyl, uh, 70,000 Americans dying from, from this corridor of fentanyl coming in from, from the south through our borders. Uh, cartels infiltrating our, our, our country. Uh, human trafficking. I mean, all these things. Would you ever think that, that we, we have to address this issue back when we had leadership, that you had to systematically come no. into this country? You had to register with, with an embassy, and you had to wait, and then 10 years. I, I talked to two people yesterday that just got their citizenship, and I said, how long did it take? They said 10 years. Now it's once you get across yeah. the river or the border or wherever it is, you're relatively free to go within a day or two out into America that's hardworking, gets up every day, and maybe losing jobs because of that. But it's it's fear, uh, it's a stress on on America and the economy, and it takes leadership. And and when that leadership finally come gets into into Washington, we got to secure the border. Then we have to, I think, put some type of of military, whether it's National Guard or whatever, to to get back to an organized system of immigration. I mean, my family was from was from Ireland. My great great grandparents, uh, even though they didn't come through Ellis Island, they were engineers and, and they went the other way uh, and, and started to join 8,000 people building the Panama Canal. And they sent my grandfather to New York, and there's another uncle who was a policeman, another one's a fireman. And my great great grandparents died of malaria. But these were immigrants who, who were coming to America for, for a life and they were bringing skills with them and, and skills that can really make a difference in America. We, you know, I think that we should reward those immigrants who are bringing uh, you know, skills to this country. So, you know, we could talk forever, but I think it's, again, a, a crisis of leadership. We need those that, uh, that really feel passionate like I do and you do, uh, that it's time to step up and time to be a clear new voice. I know for me, to be a fresh voice with fresh ideas in California, <laughs> uh, you know, could be 
could be a new wave towards that. Hey, last thing, Rick Monday, Save the Flag, 1976. I remember watching it. Um, yeah. You were there. What was your recollection on that? What, 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 what? How'd yeah. that go for you? You're sitting there watching all this. Well, of course, Rick was with the Cubs, and, and Lasorda and I, for some reason, we were down you know, towards the you know, third base side of the dugout. And, uh, and we look up, and he goes, Garth, look at those guys out there. And I said, my God, Tommy, they got a flag. So, so and it looked like they were going to do something. Obviously, they're going to try to light it under fire. So Lasorda and I are trying to get up these narrow steps. And, you know, Lasorda, um, you know, he was never, uh, never narrower than the day before. <laughs> <laughs> right. And we almost kept right. getting up. And by the time we get to the top of the steps, and it wasn't very far, Rick had come in and, and swooped down and got the flag in one of the great uh, great moments in, in, in American history and in baseball history. And then lo and behold, he ends up with the Dodgers and a big hit in the NLCS of uh, 81 and win a world championship. So so God blessed him with that moment of, uh, of uh, uh, maybe the greatest save at, uh, in Dodger Stadium. Right, right. That's exactly right. And the world has changed a little bit since then, honest to God. And uh, thanks for coming on. Hope you'll come back. That's great stuff. A couple of big tenors. You know, we've had this love affair from balloting to uh, you being <laughs> naked and yelling at me. So let's do it again. <laughs> screaming, screaming, screaming at Leon Durham. What are you doing? Get down. Get on a knee. Make the play. Well, Thank you, Gwyn Steve. Hit, Good luck. Gwyn hit the ball off of Sandberg, too. You know, it was tough. I Amen. know it. I, I I could still see it. Boom! Over Sandberg. Durham. Oh, Jesus Christ. Anyway, at the, such is life as a Cub fan. That's the way, you know, that's the way it goes. Thank I you. Love you. Thanks. No, that's great. Steve Garvey, that's great. I know too much about Steve Garvey. I do. I voted for him. 12 years old, 1974. Right in ballot. I was at Lake Ridge Elementary. We had a stack full of cards because we were playing baseball in the back. And my brother, myself, and all these guys, they go, ah, Steve Garvey's killing it, man. They're like, who's Steve Garvey? I go, you guys don't pay attention. What's wrong with you? So we all wrote in Steve Garvey, and he starts the all-star game. So we knew Say at third, who eventually became a Cub, Russell at short, Lopes at second, and Garvey at first. And then Joe Ferguson went to right field, Jaeger, who was the coolest guy ever because he would take his shirt up buttons. And then Doug Rao and Bert Hooten and, oh, geez, that just drove me nuts because the Cubs never had a chance. And then when Garvey goes to San Diego, finally, finally as a Cub fan, finally, we're going to get something done. Finally. And then Steve Garvey, 5-5, to bottom of the ninth. We got our gut going. But there's a happy ending to the story. Not that kind of happy ending. I go back to the apartment. I'm sitting there talking. This beautiful blonde girl is in my apartment, a bunch of people. And she goes, hey, Dan, you want to go with me? I'm going to go get a pack of smokes. That girl could have told me she was going to go shoot heroin and I'd have gone with her. I'm like, yeah. It was raining outside. And so we're walking in this little cul-de-sac where a bunch of cars were parked because it was a big-time party. And there's a Porsche, 911 or whatever the little Porsche is. And I'm like, God, can you give me this one? And she throws me the keys and she goes, hey, you're driving because you've been drinking. And I hadn't been drinking. I go, yeah, I am. We didn't come back to that party. It should have been like three days we shouldn't have come back to that party. But we didn't come back for a while. 
And I got to tell you, I drove that point. It wasn't because we were naked or necking or any of that stuff. It was because I was driving that Porsche a thousand miles an hour. She's smoking cigarettes out of the window. Nah, I didn't care what she was doing. My car was a 83 Chevette. That's what I was tooling around in. That was my car after having a 74 Plymouth Gold Duster. You give me a Carrera, a Porsche, holy hell. She was from Texas. She had a boyfriend. It wasn't a great love affair. It wasn't even a one-night stand. But I had a nice time in that Porsche. And then I went back and Big Balls Billy was throwing a guy down the stairs. <laughs> All right, woke a dope. Damn, this is a fun show. Garvey was absolutely fan-freaking-tastic. All right, I can't even remember who our first guest was. It was a great Bruce Pearl, and he was unbelievable. What do we got? Woke a dope. Oh, man. One of, these, one of these is a hideous clown with a terrible laugh, and the other is the Joker. Hey, I got to tell you, I saw something about Camilla Harris. She's the worst. I mean, look, I get it. Everybody is ensconced in their own party. I get it. Everybody loves their own party. You got to support your own party. I don't understand it. But that's the world that we live in. I'll never understand it. I can't understand it. Don't at me about it. But my God, if you're going to vote for Biden and this thing, I don't know what to tell you. Because she's already planning on being president. Holy crap. Just look up some of her speeches. That's the dumbest woman to ever walk the face of the earth in public office. And there's been a lot of dumb women, there's been a lot of dumb dudes, but that's the dumbest, period. I have no idea how she got where she is. I heard how she got where she was in California, but I got no idea how somebody thought it was a good, well, they won, so what the hell. Go ahead, next. Having a wall does not mean keep out, it means use the door. Come in legally. Bout it from a friend. Keep it going. Yes. It's not you cannot come in, but use the door. You don't let somebody come into your house through the drywall, do you? I mean, you don't want people bashing in a window and coming into your house. Knock on the door. We'll let you in. And we got a couple. There's a back door. There's a sliding glass door. Next! Oh, we must deprogram MAGA. We must Hillary Clinton, Rodman Clinton, Clinton, Harry, Donna Harry. I got to go to the bathroom. This has been a great show. Out of this world, what guests we have. Look, ESPN ain't giving you this. And we're going to keep doing this show. And at some point, it'll be the number one show in the world. I got to go to the bathroom. I'll see you tomorrow. Peace out. Oh, man.